Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Well, hello again. It's more fun here on episode number 18, and I'm pretty excited to introduce to you my friend, Kara Eschbach. I met Kara once. But once was enough because she left an impression. I'm more tight with her brother. And they're both an entrepreneurial sort of duo family that everybody must be very proud of these high achieving performers. And, and her claim to fame these days is she's the co-founder and CEO of Verily Magazine, which is more of a really website publication these days. And, and she has some really cool perspectives associated with uh, the differences between kind of the, the corporate finance world and what she's doing now and kind of best practices and lessons that absolutely apply to both. So you're going to walk away with some great tidbits, including one, how a casual brunch transformed Kara's career on Wall Street into founding and launching a brand new web publication. Two, how to accelerate your career by taking on more responsibility faster. And three, some tips and tricks for building a great working relationship with your manager, uh, wherever your industry may be. If you want to check out some of the extra stuff, you can find that at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep18. That's the transcript and notes and, and things linked here. And of course, if you want it really fast, you're going to want to sign up for the golden nuggets emails at awesomeatyourjob.com to read kind of a two-minute email summary of these and all the guest perspectives. So a quick bit about Kara. She's the co-founder and CEO of Verily, a woman's fashion and lifestyle website focused on helping women become the best versions of themselves. Kara was formerly the co-host of the nationally broadcast radio show, Catching Up with Kara and Monica on Sirius XM Radio, was on the investment team for Credit Suisse's Secondary Private Equity Fund, and developed a coaching program for recent college graduates to accelerate their career. Kara earned her bachelor's with highest distinctions from Purdue University, Boiler Up, where she was a member of the varsity golf team and selected as the class commencement speaker. Here's Kara. Kara, thanks so much for appearing on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Oh, thanks for having me. Well, I've got a lot of friends who think that Verily Magazine is just the coolest thing ever. And so it, it's been a, a fun mixed bag in terms of some people being like, oh my gosh, how did you score that interview? And other people are like, I've never <laughs> heard of that. What is that? So could you introduce us a little bit to what is Verily Magazine about and, and what's kind of your story as to how you came to found a publication? Yeah, so Verily is a women's fashion and lifestyle website, and it's interesting because you know, that's a very generic way of describing it, um, and I think that what we saw in the women's space is that there's a lot of pretty generic content, so for, for us, we really, the sort of sparking moment was that there were a bunch of women out to brunch, and it just so happened that one of the girls who was there used to work at Elle magazine, and it was one of those conversations, you know, where people are just like, oh, I hate this about the world. And, you know, we happened to get upon the topic of women's content, women's magazines in particular. Remember, this was like five years ago mm -hmm. when, you know, paper magazines were a little bit more of a force than, than web publications were. Um, and it, it just really struck a chord with me that there were so many women who were like, this stuff is just doesn't speak to my reality or the things that I'm dealing with at all. But 
I still kind of want this type of information. And this girl, Janet, was there, and she, having worked at Elle, was like, oh, tell me about it. I've always wanted to start my own publication that would be very real and authentic to what women are going through and give them the real advice that they're looking for. And for me, at the time, I was working at Credit Suisse in private equity, and I liked what I was doing, but I knew I wanted to do something else. And with her just saying that about, you know, there's there's just needs to be something different really sparked for me that, like, yes, this is something that needs to be done. I think we're the ones who need to do it. And so let's do it. Just like that. Just like that, born. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like it's one of those um, – I talk to to a lot of other founders, and I think you know, some people have more slow and methodical ways of coming about things. But I talk to a lot of people who are just like, and then I felt really convicted, and we started, you know, just solving the problem. Um, and there's something to be said for, you know, in in entrepreneurship, but I think even in more corporate jobs for being someone who just solves problems and fixes things. And and that I would say is probably like the heart of what we're doing is really like we're trying to fix a problem and address an audience that was just not being spoken to before. Well, well that's fantastic. And I think that, you know, when, when I see a magazine on the counters that has, you know, 32 mind blowing sex tricks, it's like, <laughs> I just wonder, like, it's just like, ooh, that's what I need right now. <laughs> I, I, I just, so. It's you know, I, I always say that for as much as people will deride Cosmo for being fluffy, like, they pioneered clickbait. That They were, like, the first <laughs> ones to figure out, like, people just, they, they're, like, intrigued and they want to read it. Um, so that was actually a big piece of the idea was that women's magazines are so good at, giving you information that you're like really interested in and, and giving it to you in a really digestible way. So what if we could sort of use that format of really like interesting topics and, and using relatable language, but actually having real advice and not just like 52 sex tips or whatever the silly thing that they're actually talking about in, in the content. Well, that's great. And, and it seems like it's working. I mean, you, you have a pretty substantial scope of operations now in terms of like employees and, and readership. Like I remember when it was, you know, just sort of an, a cool idea that uh, mm. you were talking about and putting out there online. And so where is it now? Yeah, so now we have over half a million unique visitors a month. Um, we're growing sort of quickly, and you know we have a lot of activity on our social channels and um, looking into sort of new media, doing some video. Uh, you know, maybe we'll do some podcasting here. I'll, ask, I'll have to ask you for advice oh, about that one piece. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, I think it, you're right. There's just now we have um, like ten people working for us. And it seems as though there's always more things we want to work on and, you know, more more opportunities that we want to explore, particularly on kind of the business side. Um, so, yeah, it's crazy to think that four years ago it was like, hey, I think we want to, like, put together a magazine and see if anybody wants to read it. Um, so I think, we've, I think we've proven that, yes, this is something people want to read. Now it's a matter of, you know, going from point A to point B to now it's point C and D beyond. Oh, perfect. Well, and so, and I will leave, there are many a podcast that will dissect your entrepreneurial journey from beginning <laughs> to end. And while wow, that's pretty juicy, fun stuff, I enjoy listening to those. This one is about skills. So I'd like to hear you. I remember you and your brother, Jeff, were working on a little uh, program associated with, with coaching recent college 
graduates with their first careers, and you had a, a high-powered career yourself there at, at Credit Suisse, and you've managed to pull things together here on the entrepreneurial front. So I'd love to hear, are there some common threads associated with what you've done or skills or tricks that you've leaned on that have you found very effective in making things happen in these different worlds? Yeah, I, mean, I think... Um one of the things I, I already mentioned is that kind of, you know, figure it out and do it attitude. And that's something that I think people associate a lot with entrepreneurship. Um, the number of times I've had people tell me like, oh, it must be so great to not have a boss. It's like, that is by far like not the best part of being an entrepreneur. That's probably the worst part actually <laughs> that you're responsible for everything. But um, I think that sometimes people think that they need permission to execute on things. And one of the things that I did when I was at Credit Suisse, we had a sort of team meeting very early on. You know, I'm a first year analyst. I was just there to like be hungry and work on whatever they threw my way. And I happened to see that they were talking about trying to fix the process of of internally some of the deal flow and how we manage that. And people kept bringing up like, oh, we've talked about building a system for tracking this for years, but it never happened. And like, oh, well, you know, Mark, you can, will you actually look into that? And I email Mark saying, hey, I want to help with this. And eventually, you know, again, it just kind of gets lost in the day-to-day quagmire of things. And I was like, actually, if you don't mind, I would love to own this project and just you know, see what we need to do to make it happen. And even though it was extra work for me, um, it sort of gave me an opportunity to go out there and actually do something impactful for my group that, you know, by the time I, I had left a couple of years later, this was a part of our daily routine and process. And I had to go out and figure out what are all of the resources that we need in order to make this happen? Who do I need to get budget approval for? Um, you know, is there an internal team or do we have to do some kind of external scoping for this. Um, And I think it just really showed me that if you are willing to stand up and say, I'm going to fix the problem, um, people first of all, like recognize you as a leader. And second of all, it gives you an opportunity to grow your skills in a way that perhaps a manager wouldn't have identified for you to grow your skills, you know, particularly if it's an area that you're interested in. Um, I think that was probably one of the, the, best things I learned that has been a constant throughout all these things that you you don't have to have someone give you permission to take on responsibility. Um, you can find ways to do that by raising your hand. And usually managers are more than happy to let somebody else do the work for them. <laughs> oh, absolutely. It's like, please just handle that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, awesome. <laughs> Much appreciated. Well, th- that's that's lovely. And so I imagine, though, in, in the course of, of taking on that new area of responsibility, that there, there very well could be a degree of... I don't know, fear, trepidation, anxiety. Like, I think maybe the reason people wait for permission is because they're a little scared to, to do it anyway. And then the, when they get that permission or blessing, it, it feels like they're, they're good to go. So how do you, guess, I guess, internally manage those, those emotions? Or are you just like a, a stone-cold rock star who, who doesn't even feel fear? <laughs> No, not at all. Actually, I I think um, managing your own expectations is probably one of the best skills you can develop as a professional. Um, I I 
would say in this particular sense, certainly start off with things that seem low risk if you're risk averse. Try something that scares you just a little tiny bit. And then when you're successful in it, you gain a little bit more confidence. I think there's a lot of research about you know gaining confidence and confidence building. And we talk about this a lot in terms of women. But uh, in general, you know, you tend to gain confidence by doing things and being successful at them. So you know you can do it and do something with a little bit more risk. Um, so I, I think that if you're worried about it, identifying small opportunities where you can maybe take it on. So, you know, if it doesn't go so well, well, it wasn't that big of a deal. It wasn't, you know, a major fail. But I think, too, sometimes we think that things are going to be a bigger deal than they are. Mm. And I think part of, of what you can also do to sort of either mitigate that or or to manage the kind of fear or even the downside risk is by recruiting some other people to be invested in whatever it is that you're working on so that they also want to be involved in your success and are going to help make sure that it's not going to fail. And I'll give an example. Um, when I was at Credit Suisse, I had raised my hand for another project that was basically um, helping with some fundraising efforts for, um, you know, we, so we, we were a fund and we had to raise external capital to invest on behalf of those investors. And we, you know, we have a very particular way in which we went about doing that. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to, to just get some exposure on that side. And I became, you know, close with one of the, the senior people on the team and just sort of raised my hand. And so I was working with her and she gave me the opportunity to present a very little bit during this meeting, which was a great opportunity for me. But she was also deeply invested in making sure that I did a good job because she was putting me out there as well. Um, so, you know, I could go to her and say, I want to practice this. Can you help me practice? Will you sit and listen? Um, you know, who else should I talk to to make sure that I'm well-versed in whatever it is that I'm going to say? Uh, and I think that that having her being a little bit invested in it because she was kind of on the line and it was part of her project too, um, made it so that she wanted to give me that time that maybe otherwise people don't want to give you if it's not their project. Um, so I think getting, getting external buy-in so that you can have some support and help to mitigate it. And then also there are people who you know are already bought in on your idea. So you don't have to, you're not like going blindly and nobody knows what you're doing. Um, you've already done a little bit, a bit, a bit of that pre-work to get people on the same page as you. So it's a little bit less risky. Oh, no, that's just, that's just real smart experience talking there. Get the buy-in and the people and the alignment up front. Yeah. And I remember when I was talking with Jeff about the, the coaching program that you, you had made for a little bit, and I don't know how many iterations that went through or how many lucky audiences got to do it before you each went on to huge things elsewhere in your own right. But I remember one of the, the pieces that was kind of an, an eye-opener surprise for the recipients of that program was when it came to the performance management cycle and, and mm. how that works and what you really need to do in taking a, a proactive step in it. So there's a random memory from some years ago. Wow, that's coming forth. But <laughs> I'd say I'd love to hear your takeaways there or, or just anywhere you've got some kind of quick tips uh, that emerged from that program you think are worthy of sharing here now today. Yeah, actually, I think that's probably one of the biggest ones is 
understanding how you're going to be evaluated. And so I think that, you know, if you're in a corporate job, sometimes that's a very structured thing. So I talk about, you know, taking these other opportunities and, and doing projects that are outside of your scope. I recognized at the time that that was something that may or may not positively impact my review at the end of the year, because it wasn't technically part of my job that I needed to do. Right. So if you're in an organization that has very clear uh, requirements for promotion, know what those are up front so that you can manage your workflow to those to those uh, milestones. And I would say, you know, it's helpful to be clear with your manager about that as well, being upfront about what your goal is. You know, if your goal is to move into a totally different department and you just want to get as much experience as you can in this department for now, you should totally be be transparent with your manager about that um, so that they're not just trying to promote you internally because then you're working with opposite goals. But if your expectation is that you want to be promoted within whatever framework that you're looking for, you want your manager to be aware of that to make sure that, okay, am I on the kinds of projects that are going to give me the, the right check boxes so that you can say, yep, whatever the, the matrix of, of necessities are, you're going to be able to check those off through your experiences. But you don't want to come to the end of the year or whatever your review cycle is and have them say, oh, well, you didn't get this experience, so we can't promote you. You're like, well, I didn't even know that was part of the requirement to be promoted. I thought I was just doing a good job, doing the thing you were asking me to do. Um, so I think, I think sort of having some clarity as soon as you can about where it is you're going, how you get there, and any internal requirements that are needed is like probably going to be the most career-changing thing you can do if you're in a structured environment. And I think the same thing goes in less structured environments as well, is understanding, well, what are the requirements that are needed? Where am I going? And how am I going to succeed within that environment? Um, and yeah, I think that that's good advice, whether you're working at you know, a really big place or if you're at a smaller, uh, smaller organization. If you work for me at Verily and there's only 10 of us, there are probably 50 things I would love for you to do. And if you were my employee, I would love it if you came to me and was like, okay, what are the things that are going to make the biggest difference for the organization? Let's make sure that those are the things I hit. Your, your manager is going to be happy for you as well. I'm just imagining people I, who do work with me uh, asking me that question. And it's almost like I'm breathing a sigh of fresh air. Like, oh, uh, you're an angel. Thank you for asking. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I think and then the other piece of you know, what you just said is that like, I, think, I think sometimes people lose sight that your job is yes to do your job but it's also like doing your job should mean that your boss's job is easier um and i think you want to be the kind of employee who recognizes what their boss is working on and what is a priority for them and their team um because that's again going to influence well how are you being evaluated what's a priority for them if you're off working on something that's not a priority for your manager they're not going to perceive you as being as high value as you working on something that's super high value for them you want to get as on as many of those things as possible Absolutely. actually i have a good a good example of this one i realized when i was at credit suisse i was working on a lot of deals but i realized that i wasn't working on as many high profile deals with the, the 
senior people who were really the ones who were the movers and shakers. And so I ended up asking, going up to those, those, uh, those key people and saying, hey, I want to be in a deal with you. I think I could really learn a lot and I haven't gotten a chance to work with you yet. Uh, and once I did, it made it so much easier to get championed to be put on other great deals. And then I sort of was able to build up my reputation internally uh, a lot more swiftly. Hmm. That's great. That's great. Well, anything else then in the realms of oh, so, so smart thoughts associated with career management, uh, working with the performance systems and the people and the reviews and the priorities and, and making sure you're checking the boxes on the requirements. That, that's golden. Anything else that comes to mind uh, when it comes to the the career skills management uh, coaching offering? Well, one thing I will say, you had mentioned this earlier about getting buy-in ahead of time. I think this is something I observe from other people often. Um, it's kind of expecting a lot of the work to be done in the group. And I think that the, the more savvy way to go about it usually, and this can be applied in many different um, settings, is going to the key decision makers one-on-one -on -one and getting them to buy in ahead of time so that when you're coming to the big meeting that is the like quote-unquote big decision meeting everyone's already made their decision yes. and they're all already on the same page um i think you see a lot of things go horribly wrong when it's like oh and now we're all encountering this for the first time and you're in a big group so all those hard questions that you would rather have in a one-on-one -on -one discussion is now being aired out in front of a bunch of people. Um, so I think going and getting a lot, doing that pre-work for buy-in ahead of time is um, just really smart sort of group management when you have more than one party who's involved in what you're doing. Oh, absolutely. And, and at Bain, we did that all the time. Uh, we called it uh, pre-wiring with the individual executives or directors or, or data folks we were collaborating with in the meeting. And then I just loved it how some of the folks would just be just surprised, like, wow, we got so much done and decided in this meeting. And it was just like, yes, yeah, because we were working like 60 hours a week, having individual <laughs> meetings with all of you and addressing all of your needs up front. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. It's like... Yes, thank you. It went very smoothly. I appreciate it. <laughs> we'll just take that as a compliment for our that we did our job right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so when you talk about buy-in, I've known a couple people who were excited just because of, of what Verily stands for. And uh, like, oh, I just want to write for them. I just want to do things for them. And so I, I imagine that you have, well, tell me this is true or false, that you've been in a position where you just have quality people out of nowhere just volunteering to do stuff at free or cost less than what they should be compensated for their time. Is this true? And what's the secret to getting more of that happening in your world? Yeah, I, I think it is true. What's interesting is often, you know, how do you harness that enthusiasm? Um, you know, I think that there are a lot of people who, you know, would love to write, um, you know, sometimes editing that for our particular style is harder than it might seem. So sometimes having people write for us isn't, isn't the best way to have them helping. Um, but yeah, we're, we're actually actively uh, developing a program internally to harness that enthusiasm more. Um, but I think that the thing that we saw very early on was because people were enthused about the idea, they were interested in just sharing it with their friends. And so much could be said for just 
share like people sharing our articles and like you said you have some friends who've heard of heard of us and some who haven't I personally think it's the greatest compliment ever when somebody who doesn't necessarily have any connection to us says oh my gosh I've heard of that I like came across an article on Facebook and you know was clicking around your website um, I feel like that kind of organic swell of energy uh, is is probably like the greatest thing that somebody that a marketer could ever hope for, mm-hmm. um, and I, I think that in terms of generating it, it's hard to do that artificially, right? Like if you have a product that is just like not sexy and nobody really cares about on an organic level, it's hard to just create a marketing program around it that like makes it more interesting. But for us, I think we have the benefit of it's really authentic what we're doing and we have a real mission behind what we're doing. Um, which I think just informs all that we do. And you, you hear about this at companies like Apple. You know, it's it's not about creating a really cool phone. It's about technology that really works and has this higher vision for what it means for like you know human flourishing with technology. Mm-hmm. That's like an inspiring vision to get behind. And I think you know we have the benefit of saying like we're really trying to do something good for women. We're trying to put good content out in the world. We're trying to change the way that we view women as a society we talk a lot about the sexualization of women and trying to give women permission to not feel pressured into a lot of the the standard mores that you hear and you you don't have to lose 10 pounds just because the cover of a magazine told you to you actually don't need to be 5'10 and blonde to be beautiful you don't have to have a high power job to be a worthwhile person and I think that that's a that's a really inspiring vision that people get excited about. Um, so, I, and you know, it doesn't have to be. We're very clearly mission driven, but I think you know other organizations can find missions that feel authentic to them, that have a similar kind of um, excitement behind it that that you can rally people around. Oh, that's fun. That's fun. Well, I'm intrigued by this program. Like maybe it's still in the works. You talked about harnessing this enthusiasm, and what are some of the key dimensions or elements of this program that will aim to do that? Yeah, we're, so our big thing is trying to give these people some kind of community and Mm. way to interact with us. So we're actually, we're going through the process now. We have kind of a beta group of people who sort of self-selected into a, a trial group for us. And we're really having that conversation with them about, okay, well, we know, like, you guys want to be rewarded, you want access to things, you know, how can we best meet your needs in that way and sort of create this community? So it really came out of a feeling from our readers that they wanted to connect with other readers, they wanted to connect with the editors, um, they wanted a more personal touch because that's already sort of the feel behind what we do. So now we're more just trying to put the structure around it and facilitate this sort of natural feeling that's already there. Um, so TBD on on how well that goes. We're we're trying oh. to work through it, but it's been fun to to have the opportunity to just interact with our readers and hear what they want from us. Oh, super! Yeah, that's great, and, and good luck to you. With this initiative. Well, will you tell me, is there anything that you're dying to share or I should have asked before we shift gears into the Fast Faves segment? Uh, No, I feel like you've hit on all the exciting things. We've covered, I feel like I've hit on every phase of my career with you, Pete, now. So (laughs) it makes me feel old. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we're all getting older. (laughs) 
Well, then, uh, but then let's do it. Fast, fast pace here. Tell me, is there a favorite quote you have that you lean on or you find inspiring repeatedly? Yeah, ever since high school, my favorite quote has been uh, a Thoreau quote, and I feel like I'm about to butcher it now that I'm like not directly looking at it. But um, it's, if you have castles in the air, your work need not be in vain. That is where they should be. Now put foundations under them. Which I feel like it's just such an embodiment of like my life. It's like, yeah, I've got like all these cool things I want to do, but you have to actually like work really hard and, and build a solid foundation and, and work up to it. Um, so execution is, is everything. I love that quote. Mm-hmm. And how about a, a favorite study or, or piece of research you find interesting? Ooh, we we look at a lot of research for articles. So I feel like I always have something new and interesting. Um, I say there's there are two on a personal level. Pretty much everything having to do with sleep quality, oh, I find tell me. fascinating. And I, it's it's all like all these things are reinforcing. There's not just one study, but in general, the idea of like we need to put our devices away an hour before bed because blue light is really bad for you. <laughs> um, and a lot of things like oh, okay, I need to actually like have a bedtime routine. Not having your phone next to you so it's lighting up in the middle of the night. Actually getting eight hours of sleep. I think as as high performers. Most people I talk to are like, oh, well, I'm going to get more done by not sleeping. But the reality is that, you know, I think, I can't remember how many hours of sleep it is. You know, if, you, if you're if you losing two to three hours of sleep than what you should be getting, it's, it's, a, it's the same amount of detriment as if you had had a drink of alcohol. So I'm like, wow, not getting enough sleep is basically like I'm walking through life semi-drunk. So, oh, yeah. Like that's that's not the kind of way I want to be operating my business. So I think of it as like if I'm if I'm not getting enough rest, then I'm you know basically being irresponsible for for my investors and my my employees. Oh, I love that you just took it up a notch. Irresponsible. And we say detriment. You mean the detriment of your kind of like mental quality of thought, creativity, communication, and work stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely noticed that for me personally, just like I, I have a really hard time firing on all cylinders frequently if I don't get enough, you know, sleep, eat well, uh, do a little bit of exercise. Um, I, I think that like your quality of life goes way up. Even if you're not doing as much, I just think your the mental acuity is so much sharper that it makes up for it in terms of sharpness versus quantity of hours and this is coming from someone who worked on wall street for you know, three years <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, i love it you see okay so i that makes me feel all the better about the sleeping that i'm doing and i <laughs> will not be guilty thank you sleep away yeah how about a favorite book Ooh, you know what books are actually not my not my forte anymore i read articles like like it is my job because it is my job <laughs> but not too many books i would say i i read a lot of um interestingly like I, I read a lot of stuff that has nothing to do with what we work on just so that i feel connected to the world i feel like i read a lot of uh the atlantic and new york magazine sort of like think pieces just to get a sense of what people are talking about and sort of see common threads i also love to read you know episode recaps of tv shows and i'm into but that's that's not going to be very helpful yeah were you really disappointed when grantland went away as i was i was i you know what i wasn't 
an avid reader of like the the sports stuff but it was all the the random things from people like Malcolm Gladwell that were just so well done that's like even if I don't know this topic it's just I, that was a purely enjoyable read and there's there's a lot to be said for enjoyable reading there's not a ton of that on the internet nowadays mm, absolutely <laughs> And how about a favorite uh, habit, uh, a game-changing personal practice of yours? Maybe it's already been said, sleeping, or maybe there's something else. Um, You know, I've recently, as in like the last six months, implemented a morning routine, and that has really changed my life. I used to be a total night owl. I would stay up late and sort of like grog around in the morning as I was like hitting my alarm and trying to rush around. Um, And now I actually like get up when my alarm goes off, I make my breakfast, I leave myself 30 minutes of prayer time, and that has, like, sitting down and having a little bit of mental time to myself and, you know, putting aside work and all the other things has just totally changed the way that I approach the day, and it's like, my mornings are so much more effective. Oh, fantastic. And how about a favorite uh, tool, if it's a gadget or software or, or something that you find yourself using often? I am an Evernote freak. I love it. I put everything in Evernote. And then I kind of, I guess I have like a, a amalgamation of other technology of like Google. And I actually use like paper. Um, I have like a Google calendar and then I transfer it over to paper. And I actually do like an evaluation at the end of my week of like how I thought I was going to spend my time versus how I actually spent my time. So I can kind of optimize the next week. But um so, yeah, I, I think all of those little things about, like, timekeeping and um, Evernote is just awesome. I keep all my to-do lists there. It's great. Well, that's cool. That's cool. Uh, paper valuation, that's great. Um, <laughs> how, how about a, a favorite kind of word of wisdom that when, when you share it with, with folks that you, you really just see them nodding their heads, they're taking notes, they think, wow, Kara is brilliant. Uh, I don't, I don't know if they think this is brilliant, but I definitely get a lot of nods. Um, whenever I just talk about being realistic with your situation and that's on many fronts, I think, um, a lot of times in particular, you know, we speak a lot to women and people sort of lament this idea of work-life balance and, oh, you know, there is no such thing as work-life balance or choosing when you do things or, oh my gosh, your fertility goes in your thirties. Um, and I think the reality is that like, yes, you know, you, you can bemoan all of those things, but the only way to address any of these questions is to be looking critically at what you want out of life and make decisions that allow you to do whatever it is that you think coincides with that. If it's really important to you to get married and have kids, like be real with yourself that if you are working 90 hour weeks throughout your entire twenties, that's going to be really, really hard to do. So I, I find that it's the, the hard advice of like, I'm sorry, it's not possible. Prioritize and figure out what you want and move forward. Um, especially for women, I think that's a hard one. Oh, but, but, but easier in a way. It's hard, but I think it creates a peace. You know, when you just reduce the amount of things you're committed to and realizing that there is a limited amount of you know, time, energy, mm. life that, that you can give to things. And so, so pick yeah, up. There's, there's a certain freedom, I think, too, to just like facing the reality of, of what it is and saying like, nope, it's not going to get done. 
that's okay. I think that there's there's an element too of like accepting that that's reality and and saying that I'm going to let that go and just being okay with it rather than thinking that you're supposed to do all of these things and then feeling guilty that you didn't do it. It's much better to have it be an, an active choice of I'm putting that aside and it's not going to happen. That's right. That's right. And how about – that's true, true in business as well. Like some things are just not going to get done and that's okay. <laughs> I hear you. And how about a favorite way to find you? If folks want to learn more or connect with you, it would be best to – Go to a particular website or email or Twitter. What's your jam? Uh, my jam is email. I feel very old school about that, but I guess I guess I've been on Snapchat more lately. Oh, you're more with it than I am. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I will say this. I'm an observer on Snapchat. That makes me sound very heuristic. I just don't share very much on Snapchat, but I find the entire thing fascinating. So I guess if you, I'm everywhere on every social media platform. I'm at Kara Eschbach. Um, but I guess Instagram too is another one that I, I follow a lot of people and I don't share at all. So um, I answer I answer direct pings though. And if you want to get at me, Kara at verilymag.com is always a, a good way to get my attention. Perfect. And any sort of final parting thought or challenge or call to action you'd like to leave folks with who are looking to be more awesome at their jobs? Uh, I guess I would say that it's, it's okay to, to go after the things that you want to go after and you don't have to follow the path that someone else has laid out for you. Pete, you mentioned the the program I used to do with my brother. And when we would start it off, every time we would talk about when you're in college, someone gives you a map and you follow, it's like very clear road path. It's like you follow this road to go down I-90 and you get to the end. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas when you, when you come into your career, it's a little bit more like someone hands you a compass and tells you to figure it out. And I think that that can be a little scary that like there's no longer a, a road map in front of you to get from you know point to point. Um, but there's also a lot of excitement and freedom. And so, you know, use the compass wisely. Go for it. No one's going to judge you. Oh, beautiful. Well, Kara, this has been a ton of fun. Uh, thank you. I wish you and, and Verily and all that you touch the very best of luck and keep on rocking. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Okay, well, help your already brainstorming find ways that you can take on new responsibilities and just go fix problems in your respective worlds. To check out some of the items mentioned here, the pieces referenced, links you may want to follow in a transcript of this conversation, drop on by awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep18, and I'll catch you next time. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.